The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state. For full video episodes, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Radical Secular. My name is Christoph Defoe. I'm coming uh, to you from Jersey City, New Jersey, also known as Chilltown. And um, I'm here with uh, two, with our guests, Jordana and, and Sean. I'll let them introduce themselves. Sean, why don't you go ahead? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Radical Secular. My name is Sean Prophet, and I am in Henderson, Nevada. Hi, everyone. I'm Jordana Thigpen, and I'm usually in Los Angeles, but I'm in Michigan right now. <laughs> so nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Thanks for, thanks for being here. But we're like, we're so happy to have you. I think there's like a lot of um, interesting things we're going to talk about. I want to, before we get into anything, because we tend to do this and we do do this and we do t-shirts. So I'll do the t-shirt thing first. Actually, you know what? I'll go last because I'm doing the intro today. So uh, why don't I let our, let our guests go first? All right. So this is my shirt. <laughs> the time to seek happiness happens to be now. <laughs> so... Happy skeleton. Yes. Happy our life. Yeah. Well, I have uh, Freddie Mercury because Freddie Mercury is a, uh, is a great man and uh, very much stood for human rights. And uh, that's what we stand for on this show so much. And uh, I feel like, you know, even though he's gone, you know, he's, he's, he, he's always with us. I feel, uh, you know, when I went to the show with Adam Lambert uh, uh, playing his part, you know, it really, uh, really brought me back. So, I got the shirt and, um, you know, cheers to Freddie Mercury. Cheers. Um, and awesome. Um, again, I'm Christoph. And uh, so I, um, this shirt is a Bad Religion t-shirt. Uh, Bad Religion is my um, favorite band, punk rock band from the 80s. It's actually older than I am. Um, the guys are now and they're sort of, um, uh, they're like, you know, boomers, I guess, but they're like super cool. And, and also all about rationality. And, um, and and secularism, as distinct from atheism, but secularism. Um, <clears throat> the reason why I'm wearing it today specifically is not only because I love the band, which is true, but also because, um, you know, I, I, was think, I, I, I was thinking earlier uh, this week about the Portland, uh, what's everything that's going on in Portland. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But uh, one of the albums that came out, uh, one of their albums that came out about 10 years ago was called The Descent of Man, D-I-S-S-E-N-T of Man, um, which obviously is a play on The Descent of Man. Um, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but the, the, the beginning of the front of the album is a guy with a rock or like, you know, throwing it at presumably, I don't know, but hopefully fascists. Um, but it is, uh, but, in, I was, but I was reminded of that given everything that's going on in Portland right now and around the country. So I figured I would give a little shout out um, to, 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 uh, to that. So um, I guess that sort of seals off our t-shirt part of the show. Um, so well, it's, a good, it's a good segue. Cause I mean, if there's, if there's no dissent, there's no democracy. If you can't, if you know, the, the idea of the red dress of grievances, the, uh, you know, the right of assembly, all those things are what this protest represents. And so that's why it's so disheartening to see, you know, the, the government cracking down and really, really actually creating a whole new round of violence that never existed before. And uh, I'm really happy that we have two attorneys on the show because I think this is really, we really need to explore this, like what's going on from a legal standpoint. Yeah. It, the, the thing that is really striking right now is that, and we've, we've encountered this, I'm sure all in our daily lives, is that people are saying, it's still my free speech right 
to speak fascist words. It's still my free speech right to stand for the oppression of other people. That is absolutely not your right to do that. And society over the course of hundreds of years has been proving that that is wrong and that's not the direction we want to go in. And yet people still insist that it's their right to speak in this manner. And it's just not, it's not. Yeah, that, 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 I think that's a really good point. You know, it, it's it's in this sort of, I think this is a bit of a theme that we've talked about, uh, right? We talk, we've talked a little bit about the First Amendment um, and what that means, right? People sort of seem to think that free speech means freedom from consequence, right? Uh, social consequences or um, that free speech uh, means that I just get to say and do whatever I want, right? And and I, I like to think about it in terms of, you know, this sort of, sort of a positive freedom, like an idea of like, hey, you know, not that like freedom is my freedom too is more important than your freedom to be to, to be free from right. So so like my 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 uh, my my freedom to yell the n word at you is more important than your uh, your your uh, your uh, right to be free from oppression or free from um, from from fear or, 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 or et cetera. And I think that's I think that's really important. I think that's a theme that we're continuing to see. Um, throughout, including with the masks, right? But like with the masks, right? So you have this thing where it's like, oh no, I have a right to spit my COVID-19 all over you, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like, no, you don't though. You really don't, right? And that's, I think, kind of what you're saying, Jordan. Yeah. It's, it's really outrageous to me that people also, the, the rights that they're focusing on, these alleged rights that they have, you know, like in the example they just used, not realizing that the right they're seeking to enforce is indeed the problem. No one's talking about whether someone has a right or not. It's like, we're asking you to look at this thing that you're fighting for and look at whether or not it still serves a purpose in a civilized society that's trying to solve these complex problems that we all face when it just simply does not, you know? Yeah, that's so good. That's so right. I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead, Sean. Go ahead, Sean. Oh, it's a shifting of focus. I mean, they're, you know, they're making it about this piece of cloth and not wanting to put a piece of cloth over their face, but it's what it's really about is other people's lives. And so it's just, a, it's a deflection. It's a dishonest deflection. Like, you know, who would say, it, it's, it's, it's crazy that we even have to talk about it because, you know, the idea that, uh, well, I can drive drunk if I want. I can, right. do, I can wave my hand, you know, and if it hits, you know, when it hits your face, that's what, I don't know. It's just, just it seems like normal uh, logic is just evading these people. Yeah. The, it's the same thing with, with helmet laws in other states. You know, other states have different rules about helmets and um, same with seatbelts. What it comes down to in the end is insurance companies getting involved and they're just not going to be willing to pay these claims out anymore because the person doesn't want to wear the belt or the person doesn't want to wear this helmet. It's like, you know, I'm sure I, I don't live in a state in where there's no helmet law. And um, in, in California, we have a helmet law. I presume, I would hope that in states that don't have a helmet law, there is a question on the insurance application. Do you wear a helmet when you're getting motorcycle insurance? Do you wear a helmet when you're riding? Now, a lot of people might lie and just say, oh, yeah, sure, I wear the helmet. And then they go out, they're not wearing the helmet. They want that, quote, freedom. But, you know, you could... Somebody's not going to pay their claim then, right? If they yeah, lie to well, the application. They could come up with some excuse. I mean, people can always commit fraud, right, in an insurance claim or settlement, you know, discussion. Um, but, you know, it's, again, that not thinking about the person that might that they might cut in front of someone. Then they get in an accident. Now somebody's losing their house or bankrupt because of this accident that, you know, couldn't be avoided. And obviously there's going to be a trial, et cetera. But the point is that it's that not thinking about the consequences, that that simple act a person has to go out that day without the helmet 
could end in the loss of someone's home, their bankruptcy, loss of their family, et cetera, and have these consequential effects down the line. Nobody wants to think about that. All they want to think about is the cult of the individual, the cult of the self, when right now we're being called to a much higher purpose, you know? Well, yeah, and, and, and COVID itself is such a, I mean, even places where there's not a mask law, isn't it possible that if someone uh, gives someone else COVID that, that that's a tort? I mean, isn't that a civil tort that could be uh, claimed? You know, there have been some cases about this, but the issue is the causation. It's mm-hmm. going to be really, really difficult, I would think, to or, prove, um, because unless the person was like totally a hermit and could prove they had sealed themselves hermetically in the home, and then, you know, they went out that day and interacted with a single person. But even then, who's to say it didn't come from a package or from mm-hmm. what, you know, so there's always going to be that causation issue. You're, you're always just going to have that issue of, of the proof, you know, the failure of proof, I would think. I mean, God bless the people who are trying to make these claims. I think that yeah. I think that the the best case ones, best case, no, no pun intended, um, <laughs> it would be the, <laughs> would be the ones where like there there have been. It, it seems to be a pattern. It, you know, worship, for example, going into a church mm-hmm. setting, singing, full throated singing. There's certain activities that are causing um, more infection. But I know people who have tried and who are bringing claims, for example, failure to provide PPE, the employer's sure. failure to provide mm-hmm. PPE. Obviously, those cases are going to wind their way through the courts. Um, I know I'm not sure of the status of McConnell's efforts to get something passed that is going to have broad immunity for uh, corporate employers. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, well, that would benefit. What's the end game? What's the end game in terms of like, you know, like right now, it seems like the mask it, it, use is stepping up a little bit as the numbers go up. It seems like people are kind of getting the message finally, but uh, you know, is it, do we have to pass, you know, uh, mask laws with, you know, with heavy penalties or is it, is it going to be some other legal remedy? I mean, what do you, how do you stop people from the, you know, exercising their individual rights to, you know, to do this? I think it's the social shaming and also, yeah, the, the pocketbook of these insurance companies. I mean, I think with seatbelts, this was, this was a multi-decade effort of the NTSB and insurance companies and car manufacturers. Nobody wanted to get on board. I mean, even, and I'm sure you guys remember this. I remember being a kid and my mom would, even though we had seatbelts, she would always reach across and put her arm and when I was old enough, I finally was like, well, why did, why do you do this? And she said, well, we didn't used to have seatbelts. So if I had to hit the brake, you know, if you were in the car and you had to hit the brakes and it's like, it's an old habit. Like you yeah. just try to protect, you know? Um, I mean, this took decades and people still don't wear their belts all the time. You right, know, and they right. still get an accident without the belt, you know? That's, so that's fascinating. You know, it's funny. I remember very much with your, with like, with my, with my mom, you know, doing the, like, I hadn't thought about that in a long time, but that, that's funny. I definitely remember that. Um, but, you know, like, uh, you know, a, a couple of things come to mind. I, I, I'm, you know, you're, you were talking, Sean, about the, uh, you know, how do you sort of enforce this and the way that our culture is, is such that, right, this sort of the cult of the individual, I think, was a really great way to put that because, right, like, because like, that's what we're seeing with the masks, that we're, that's what we see with the hot, with, with, with the, with the seatbelts. And there seems to be a lack of, 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 uh, of sort of a sense of civic duty that sort of, that, that other countries for some reason have, right? So um, like it, it is certainly true in sort of Japan, right? Where it just like, right, like everyone wears a damn mask all the time, right? Like that is right. So, and there's, there's a sense of like, oh yeah, we're part of a larger, larger group. And 
you know, I, I, I wonder, and part of what we're trying to do here and trying to, to figure out on this show, on the radical secular, is, is developing or thinking about how do you create a cohesive uh, sort of, uh, without using religion, um, how, exactly. do you, how do you exactly. create a cohesive sort of structure to, that, that, that people feel a part of, such that they want to help their fellow citizens? Last week, we talked with John Kirbo, and he had some really great ideas on this. Um, basically, like, you know, in terms of in, ter- in terms of engaging conservatives, right, because the people who don't want to do this are typically conservatives. Right. So, like, how do you engage them in, in, in a way that is that that is uh, that creates a unifying culture? And I think that's I think that's a really tough problem. I mean, I think that's a really tough problem. I think that as we develop, as we talk about this here and elsewhere, this is, I think, going to be like in the future, with in a society that gets increasingly less religious, religion focused, right, and with churches that hold that with 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 glue, how do you solve that problem of of of, 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 of cohesiveness? You know, yes. there was a good example that was uh, I saw this meme and it actually um, it really kind of solidified it for me, and that is that. Um, these, this has to be a norm because you, you can't arrest everybody who's not wearing a mask. You can't arrest everybody who is rude or, or litters or whatever like that. It's just not going to work. And, and this particular example was talking about, do you return your grocery cart when you're finished with it? Because that, it's, a, it's something that, you know, everybody should do it. And yet uh, there's nothing that's going to happen to you if you don't. And so, you know, it really is kind of the measure of your citizenship as to whether you do things that you don't have to do. Do you pick up trash when you're hiking? Do you, you know, there's all these various things that people can do to sort of help. And um, that really does establish your ethics as a person, sure. as a human being. I think that um, people, you know, there's a fine line between pride, what I'll call pride in, in our government. You know, I'm proud to be an American. I, I am, you know, I'm proud of our democracy. I'm proud that we have a framework for solving problems that is supposed to work. Okay. It has not been working as well as we maybe planned. And there's been a lot of holes that have been exposed and loopholes because we've never had someone that's taken advantage of it in this particular manner. Okay. Mm -hmm. This is, this is the black swan that we, you know, that the the wild card, I guess, you know, that, that we've been waiting for. Right. And, and thank God in a way that we've, we have it and it could be worse. It might still get worse. We don't know. It could be worse. There could be a nuclear war situation going on in connection with this, right? Right. Time will tell, <laughs> but we, we <laughs> think that's pretty good odds that that's not going to happen at this point. I mean, yeah, we hope. Okay. <laughs> last, year, last year, we never would have expected a pandemic, you know? And so that's like, you, you just don't know. Uh, it, it's a test of the system and obviously it failed. And uh, he would also fail at nuclear war and he would fail at it, but just about anything else. He fails at everything that he does because he is a failure. But you know, we, we can have pride, you know, in, in our system and, and, and in our country as a whole. And it has done evil things, bad things, yes. But it's also done a lot of good and has has brought peace and prosperity on particular levels at particular times. There's things to find pride in. So if we can join the, the positive nature of being an American with a healthy awareness of, okay, we still have a lot of work to do, guys. Like we are mm-hmm. solving some very systemic problems here. Then I think, you know, that's a way forward. We just have to help people find that good, you know, and help people find that, that positivity and something to have a healthy pride in. Because pride, if unhealthy, goes to arrogance. Mm-hmm. And nobody wants arrogance. That's been always the American arrogance. We don't want that mm-hmm. anymore. For the world. 
And it's really hard to feel, you know, that that pride. Sometimes when you see, especially like we we keep promising to talk about Portland, and I think we really should should talk about it because we're seeing something unprecedented in our country uh, that where we have actual private security that's not even they don't even work for our government, working for an agency where the head of the agency hasn't been confirmed uh, at all by Congress. They're an acting agency head, and um, you know we've got. Uh, we've got these mercenaries coming in and just arresting people without reading. They're not, they're not being read their rights. They're not, uh, you know, being, the people aren't identifying themselves. It's just totally lawless. So uh, again, as, as, as attorneys, you gotta get, I gotta get both your take on this. Uh, I'll, you know, I, I, I'll, I am, um, not a civil rights attorney. Um, and so I don't want to go crazy with this, but I, I did, I, I was interested to see the claims that are being brought, right? And and I know they just and so I went and read the ACLU complaint, and the ACLU complaint they had the they had a complaint out against the Portland police before any of this started, and so they and they went ahead and uh, got leave to add uh, to amend the complaint, and they added um, you know added the federal agencies like amorphous federal agencies that are sort of involved here, um, and the claims are you know are, seem to be First Amendment claims, right? Um, the assembly claim is the obvious one. Um, then you have a fourth amendment claim searches and seizure. Right. And then I, but I thought the most interesting thing was sort of the, uh, Oregon uh, claims under the Oregon constitution as well, which I thought was fascinating, right? Because the the Oregon constitution is much sort of much broader on the argument is much broader protection than, uh, sort of the floor set on the federal level. So, um, you know, I wonder where that's going to go. I'm really interested to hear Jordana's take on this as an active practicing, um, attorney and like in, in this area. So please go ahead. Yeah, no, I I, um, I was really interested to see the denial on the basis of standing. Mm-hmm. And the governor's reaction was, well, if I don't have standing, then who does? So mm-hmm. presumably, you know, there's these individual lawsuits that are going to be, you know, wending their way through um, for mm-hmm. excessive force. I saw a, 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 someone I know had a post on their on their page from another page about a, a professor of history who was shot in the head. Yes, I saw um, her. Yeah. So, and with, you know, very dramatic photos, et cetera. Um, you know, obviously that person has a potential claim. What I'm interested in is the exact identity of these people, which I don't think mm-hmm. has been clarified at this point. I'm thinking, you know, this company that's supplying these individuals or this, this shadowy, you know, um, it's Eric but, Prince. It's, it's back to Eric Prince all over again. Exactly. I mean, that's what we, you know, Exactly. Who or is someone involved. like him? Someone like I'm not saying he's the one. You know, uh, it's not his company. We don't really know whose company it is, but it is that same type of of, of person who is you know uh, profiting from privatizing you know what should be a U.S. government function. Yeah, I mean, in in California, we have what's called the unfair business practices, the, the UCL unfair competition law, a claim for unfair business practices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know this is one potential theory, one potential avenue for liability. Um, again, standing, you know, after 2004, we had Proposition 64, which said that, you know, you have to be the one harmed. It used to be anybody could bring a claim. So then a company was out there, a bad actor, you could just bring a claim. And so I'm not sure if Oregon, I'm sure has a comparable statute. I'm not mm-hmm. as familiar with Oregon law, but, you know, presumably um, if this thing were to occur in California, this could be a potential claim is, you know, to get at that corporate liability and to take them outside of the government immunity, that's what we need mm-hmm. to do is to go after these intentional acts until they're, because I don't believe that these are, these are actual sworn law enforcement. And I think that's all right. going to come out in the wash that, you know, they're not even trained, they're not even trained cops. They're just, they're yeah. mercenaries. They're people who would be more at home fighting in Iraq or Afghanistan or, or anywhere. 
And they probably have done that as well, right? Under the color of maybe, we don't know, we still don't even know. I don't think that, I saw one photograph. Um, I think it's that one that's going around where it shows a, a blonde female, you know, kind of reaching back and yeah. there's a, an officer holding her. He, I was struck by this photo in that to me, both of those people looked terrified. The officer's mm-hmm. face, if you look at his face, his mm-hmm. eyes are very wide. This is not a person who's, you know, smashing the, the, the protesters in, mm-hmm. in a resolute effort. This person looked terrified that, and knows that he is violating the rights of this human being on, on another mm-hmm. level, on a fundamental level and, and trampling on our constitution. Right. This I think is, we can, you know, at least in California. That, that's how it starts. I mean, I think these guys, you know, they're human beings, um, you know, initially, and they're going, well, I need this paycheck and you know, whatever it is. I mean, they're, they're people like, like anybody. And, and uh, so in the beginning, they're going to be like horrified, but uh, over time that will get worn down to the point where they will turn into completely ruthless thugs because you know, it's, it, they, they reinforce each other. They obviously, you know, they get together when they're getting in their uniforms or wherever they go, you know, uh, they're all, they're, they're all kind of buddies. And it's like, it's going to be like cops, you know, where, where initially you might think that there would be some morality, but um, later it's just going to be, you know, we got, we got a job to do. And these aren't people, these are, you know, just whatever. We I wonder though, I think that's a great point. I, I wonder though, as I'm thinking about this, right, because uh, ICE is is notorious in this way of like of like toxic, right? Like just sort of like, and again, I'm not, I actually know, a, I know uh, tangentially an actual ICE officer, right? And he seems like a perfectly nice guy. But I'd also know police officers that seem like that are perfectly nice people, like when you talk to them, right? But right, but like there's something that happens when a bunch of especially men get together, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and there's sort of like, and there's an indoctrination that happens, right? And there is, there's sort of like, and that is what the police academy ends up being about in a lot of ways, right? Sort of the, into a certain way of thinking things and also a certain way of, of looking at the people that you are, that you are, that you have to sort of police, right? As right. sort of other. Um, I wonder though, that for, uh, on, in terms of mercenaries, how that might be a bit different, right? Because the culture is a little bit more diffuse, right? You just have a bunch of bunch of guys, sure, they used to be in the military, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or, or wherever they were, but now they're like, they've been, they've been like basically like some, they work for some company and, and you know, so I agree with you that, that that sort of mentality probably over time can, could take hold, but I wonder, and I'm just talking to, to Jordana's point, like that, like the, this, this cop, like or whoever he was, like terrified and obviously not, this is not what he does all the time. There's a big distinction between that and some guys dumping out water bottles in the desert, right? Yeah. Because right. because because they literally hate these people, right? Yeah. It's uh it's it is a form of a, a tribe mentality, like mm-hmm. you said, it's mm-hmm. like a pack. They pack up, you know, um Sean and I were talking about this. So the notion of tribalism is like, you know, and, and this is this is a statement from um people on, on both sides of the political spectrum is like, well, you know, you can never solve these problems of racism, systemic racism. And, you know, you can never solve these problems of nationalism because this is how people are, you know, they're just trying. Don't, try. don't even try. Don't even try. Yeah. Just abrogating responsibility completely to do anything about the problem. That, that sense of helplessness to, to just, to just give up, to say, well, it's just, it's just how human beings have lived for 200,000 years. You know, first of all, <laughs> humans have been around a lot longer than that. You know, yeah. they've been so long. <laughs> Right. But it, it's it's outrageous to me that someone would just abrogate all responsibility to take action, to actually mm-hmm. do things that they can to vote, to run for office, 
to help people who are speaking the truth run for office and that who want to actively change and defeat oppression and injustice, that they would just abrogate responsibility to the notion of tribalism. It's not racist. Absolutely. That's such a really great point. And, and, and you know, and, and, and this gets back, to, like I'm still looping this back into what we were talking about in the first instance, which is this idea of like that, that, there, that there isn't a, like, you know, that it's not in our power or it's not our job to, to solve problems, right? Like, because, like, and that's a sort of fundamental problem, right? So like the idea that like the government is not, should not be in the business of solving human problems. So like, because, right, because and all, and, and, and relatedly, the idea, like sort of the idea that we are somehow separate from the government, right? That we aren't, right? Because the idea of a representative government is that that is, it's representative of people, right? And so the government, so they are supposed to help us solve our problems. But then you have this sort of conservative approach, which is just like, no, I don't owe anybody anything. And whatever problems come up, we'll just let them happen because, hey, human beings are bad, right? Human beings are inherently bad, right? That, that's like the original sin concept. Oh, well, I'm just gonna take care of me and mine. These guys are very, very willing to, you know, they're, they're like, oh, you can't solve any of these problems. If you do, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's a utopia, you know, that'll, but they're more if than that's a bad thing. dystopia. <laughs> they, they are willing to actively uh, uh, support dystopia, but we can't have utopia. That would be a problem. Yeah. You know? yeah. There's a really interesting book. In fact, it is called uh, Utopia. I forget the, the author. I had to read it in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about a portion of California that's basically become this notion of utopia. Um, and it is still, the tribalism is still prevalent. I think that's been a, a common theme in any of these books that are about a prospective utopia mm-hmm. is that it actually it, it ends up devolving or, you know, falling apart at some point because of tribalism, because of factions. This happens in employment as well. And Christoph, you're, you know, formerly actively working as a, as an employment attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, I am also working in that field now. And, you know, there is this, this, factions that develop and it contributes to a lot of harassment is that certain employees will form a coalition against another set of employees. And this, so it, yes, it is a problem, but that doesn't mean it's insurmountable. It doesn't mean it's, it's unsolvable. Right. And it's the structure. I mean, the, anybody who knows about the Stanford prison experiment knows that you can take just normal individuals, you put them into a place where their role is, you know, where you've got, you've got guards and you've got prisoners, you've got, you know, uh, bosses, you've got employees. Anytime you, 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 you put people into roles, you get this factionalism that happens, which is why I think that the system has to, it's all about system design, right? The, like these, so, so getting back to these mercenaries, like, um, I don't really want to have to care about their ethics. I want them to be wear body cameras. I want them to be watched. I want somebody to be watching the watchers. I want, you know, newspaper reporters there and, and television reporters there. You know, like you cannot, there's not a single group of people in the world who you can uh, allow to operate without um, checks and balances, without some sort of accountability. And that's what I see here is that if you've got cops, okay, at least... Sure, cops have the, you know, they can be abusive and, the, uh, and they have the police unions protecting them, but at least there's a chain of command. You know, the mayor can hold the police accountable, right? Yes. Who is holding these uh, uh, DHS officers who don't even work for the government accountable? You know, where's the recourse? And that's where I think this lawsuit, I mean, sure, there, there, were, there were human rights violated, but we really ought to be looking at the larger issue of, you know, uh, how this is being managed and controlled from the top, you know, and that goes back to, to I guess Barr, right? William Barr and 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 Trump, you know, and and, and an unconfirmed uh, agency head. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is an issue, as well as you know the Inspector General or you know in, in any type of audit 
uh, that can be done, but this takes time. This is something that's not going to happen, you know, next month, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to take years before these audits come out. And even when we do have these commissions and these blue ribbon commissions, I mean, a lot of evidence is concealed from us as members of the public under the guise of classified information, these, these unnamed agencies, which, I mean, I remember being, being young and, you know, you had the FBI and the CIA, you know, but there's just this proliferation. It's like every day I read about a new acronym and I'm like, yeah. what the hell is this? Where do, they, where do they come from? You know, they're coming out of the woodwork now, you know, and it's just more black ops. There's a lot of redundancy and, you know, they, they get to classify such massive swaths of their budget. We will mm-hmm. never really know what is being spent on these unlawful activities. Right. That's a fact. Like, uh, you know, a cop, a cop, we kind of know what cops make, you know, I don't know, it was anywhere from like fifty to $70,000 a year or something like that, you know. More than that. <laughs> more, than, more than that, man. Like with, with OT, forget yeah. about it. Yeah. You're in like 100, 110, 120, uh, yeah. you know, easy. But these mercenaries start at like 175 or something. It's like, yeah, 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 like yeah. they make sure. a lot more money, you know. And so that's another another reason, like more money, less accountability. I mean, I think John Kirbo was even alluding to that last week. He was saying that he had been a, a whore of war at one point, which meant that he was working for one of these co- private contractors, right? Right, he, yeah. There's this, the, they're, they're middlemen, right? I mean, this, the taxpayer's paying their bill, you know, and then they're paying these workers like outrageous salaries that are far beyond what the military or the police actually would normally make. Yeah. And that is a really terrifying sort of prospect, right? The idea of sort of privatizing, uh, privatizing war in general is a terrifying prospect, uh, pro- privatizing, right? Because as soon as you privatize things, uh, right, uh, and this is, this is, goes, this is obvious, but once you privatize things, right, then, then we, there's no public oversight at all, right? I mean, that, that, that's what makes uh, privatizing things uh, very, very attractive to people who just want to make money hand over fist. And this, and this is also a huge problem with the sort of the, uh, you know, it, it, the contract, the uh, what's the word, government contract sort of like in general, right? Like yeah. the entire idea, right? You can talk about pork and waste. I mean, it's, 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 it's atrocious. So, but like what you, and I, I, I wanted to say what you uh, sort of piggyback on what you were talking about, Sean, or at least acknowledge, and that is um, the accountability factor, right? We like every psychological sort of, uh, you know, uh, any, 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 like psych 101, right? It's like, you know, people behave better when they have accountability people, right? And this also goes to what you were talking about, Jordana, right? And this idea that like, right, um, if you, if people are unsupervised, if people don't have some sort of structure around them, people will be selfish. Human beings are selfish animals. We are selfish animals, and we tend to, and, and we also we also tend to try and do things at the at, with the least amount of effort, and that usually means cheating, right? And that's why rules are so critical. Um, and uh, you know, and so I just think that in terms of in terms of the. This this was what drives me crazy about libertarian libertarianism too. Libertarianism hasn't come up in our conversation recently, and we'd like to just pound on libertarianism on this show. Pound on them. They're so don't terrible. The they don't return the grocery cards. They don't. Oh yeah, that's great. Oh my god, that's exactly that's a great example. Exactly because like, wait, I shouldn't have to. Right? Is it, that's somebody idea. else's job? Some flunky could take back my cart. You know, that's the right. attitude, and and this is how norms you know, get uh, decay over time. And what Trump's presidency has mostly been has been norm shattering, right? Because there there are laws, there are laws that he's broken, but more, it's just like there were people, you know, he was expected to do certain things. He was expected, you know, not to, for example, fire his own inspector general, right? Who, you know, he's breaking all these norms. And so I don't, I don't know what the solution is because you have to replace these norms with laws, but then laws require that, 
people mostly comply voluntarily. So yes. yeah, we're going to need a solution uh, to this problem, you know, of where people have felt like they are just unfettered to do whatever they please and say whatever they please. And, you know, um, speak in a fascist or a racist manner with, mm-hmm. without any consequences whatsoever, which of course people have been doing that for a long time, but it's reached a crescendo. It's, it has reached a crescendo. Um, now we got cameras, you know, everybody's yeah. got a camera. So we're seeing it for the yeah. first time. We are. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a really great point. Right. We're, we're, we're like, great. And, 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 and again, that is a sense of like crowdsourced accountability, essentially. Right. So, and, and, and that's why it works, right. That's why it forces change because people behave differently when they are under scrutiny. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, it, it is, it is always true and, and it always will be true. Um, I had something I was going to say. It, it, it was going to be brilliant, but I just, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I think, I think this is probably a good time to, um, because you had mentioned Jordana in our pre-show uh, conversation about uh, uh, about how we find you know in the midst because we we're talking about all these terrible things that are happening and you know how how these you know our country is really not the same as it was three years ago and how do we maintain you know as liberals through this whole thing a sense of uh, of hope and and persistence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a, a topic that is very um, important and very significant to dialogue about and. Um, to have some some ready solutions for people who are reaching a point of fatigue and help, hopelessness and fear and anxiety. Um, obviously, we're dealing with not only a pandemic and the loss of many of our jobs, our income, our source of stability, and that of our families. Everyone has been touched by this in every way. There's no one that's untouched. Um, but the issue becomes, uh, you know, how do we not succumb to that? And there is a duty for those of us who are aware of the problem, I believe, to rise above this problem and to be a beacon for others who are struggling. And we're all going to go in different waves of it. Some days you have a bad day. Some days you're at your breaking point and you, you, know, you hopefully can build a community of people that can support you. But even when you can't, um, you have to reach down inside yourself and you have to find that flame and you have to keep nurturing it and slowly building it so that it becomes a raging fire of, of knowledge that we will come through this. We will come through this and we will be victorious. And how do you do that? Well, there's a few different ways that, that we can do this. Um, first of all, you have to stay informed and stay educated. And mm-hmm. even, you know, I have never wanted to do this, but I've started doing it is I've started going on to, to websites and, and uh, news sources that I have always for years <laughs> turned my back on because I realized that they were not the views that I wanted to see. But I at least want to be aware of how the same news is being presented in these forums, right? Mm-hmm. So if you can start to see the knowledge that these people are getting, a lot of it is just flatly wrong. So, and, and a lot of it is wrong on the science. A lot of it is wrong on the facts. Mm-hmm. educating yourself about that and then being able to pass that knowledge on to people. I think that's a major point. I think it's a major step, I should say, mm-hmm. but the knowledge, the, 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 the real issue is this sense of hope. We have to do whatever it takes to convey to people. We, we can't give up. This is not the time to give up. Even without the pandemic, we'd still be in the situation of anxiety. So it's like, it's all in with the anxiety. It's all in with the despair. Let's rise above it. Let's find the flame inside ourselves and keep building that fire until it's just, it's going to burn. It's going to burn through to victory. I believe this. Yeah. And one of the ways that I think that uh, we can see this is that 
things are happening now that might have been unthinkable, like these the wholesale removal of these statues. You know, the the uh, uh, you know even though now they're protecting the statues and all that, but there have been many many hundreds of statues in Capitol buildings, you know, in public squares uh, all over the country that have come down. They're coming down. I mean, some came down last night. You know, they took down Columbus in another city last night. And so there's all these statues that are coming. That would have been unthinkable. You know, the renaming of the military bases that I think may go through because I think that even Republicans are going to vote to override a presidential veto and Trump knows it. So I think he's, he's losing on this one. So there, there's that, there's the, um, the fact that, I mean, sports teams are now, uh, are now painting black lives matter on, you know, in the stadiums, like, like it is, you know, and, and now we're having everybody taking a knee. It's only maybe before it was like one guy taking a knee and now everybody except one guy is taking a knee, you know? Yeah. And so the whole, we're to the point of holdouts now, instead of, you know, instead of where this is only one person. So um, let me try to think of what else. There's, 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 there's a whole host of things in the country that are continuing to shift. You know, even the, the, the recent transgender uh, rights decision by the Supreme Court to include that in sex discrimination is a huge deal. You know, um, that's really and, huge. That was huge. Also, the, the understanding that somebody like Gorsuch, for example, is not the right wing ideologue that he was painted as. He's yeah. come, come down with liberals on a number of, of issues. Now, he's not ideal, but, you know, he's certainly not the the Federalist Society hack that everybody thought that he originally was. And, you know, that, that Kavanaugh is. And that's unfortunate. But, you know, <laughs> that is unfortunate. Um, I, I, so I, I think but for uh, Thank you both for saying the for, for that because I, because I really do think that's important. I mean, you know, I I am <clears throat> finishing up a piece uh, that I'm writing and will be publishing early next month, and it's it's all about this idea of like you know my experience going from the day George Floyd died until today, right? And it has been a hell of an evolution, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it also talks about, I also talk about how I, what, what I, how I felt about things before George Floyd died, which was mm-hmm. far, in some ways, far less hopeless, right? Like far, far, far more hopeless, far, far more hopeless, far more hopeless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, you know, and, 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 and there is, I think, I read an article in the New York Times recently, and there, there are a lot of things to be happy about. Now, when Trump was first elected, um, I, I think in particular for people of color and for women, it was, it was and, and, and for anyone who cares about justice, it was one of the most devastating days of my mornings of my entire life. I mean, I, I, I literally just rolled out of bed and just called out sick and just stayed in bed all day long. I, I just didn't have it in me to get up. I was, you know, this was a, an America that I didn't know, right? That, and, and it was a brave new world of, of, of terror, frankly, especially in 17. 17 was terrifying. It really seemed like we were going to be under a fascist dictator that, and they were coming for us, right? So, but, but not, not long after that, you know, it, 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 it became clear that this guy, and, and after 17, it became clear that at least Trump is incompetent. And he also brought out all of the things that everyone here has been, uh, drums that we've been beating for years about the way America is. Now it is obvious to everyone. Yeah. Systemic racism is real. Sexism is real, right? Misogyny is real, right? The, the old boys clubs at the top of companies are fucking real. All of that is real. And now everyone agrees. I mean, everyone who's reasonable well, now yeah. is like, you know, hey, maybe they were right this whole time. And you know what's really infuriating? And I wrote right about this in the piece because 
my first reaction was like, where the fuck have you all been all this time? We've been doing, we've been talking about this. I've been talking about this for fucking 15 years. Where have you been? And that, my, that was my initial reaction. But then I had to sort of check myself and be like, don't make this about you. This is a great moment. This is a great moment. It, it might get worse before it gets better. But look, finally, the issues are at least salient. Everyone agrees on the issues at least. Yes. Well, you know what I would say about George Floyd is that George Floyd um, is at least a martyr who didn't die in vain. There are so many of these other other uh, uh, black men, mostly who've been shot, who mm-hmm. died kind of in vain. You know, yep. in the sense that they, you know, they, you know, Philando Castile. You know, they, 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 it was talked <laughs> about. That one got me. Like, yeah. so that was the one. Like, honestly, that was a tipping point for me, where I was just like, I was able to keep an emotional distance from it. Until that Philando Castile was a turning point because he lit, just did, he was a, he a, everything right, including yeah. having a gun permit, right. including yeah. having a gun permit. Fucking thing yeah. right. You know, anyway, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Sean, go ahead. That's all right. No, I, w- I was done. I, may, I, I mainly just wanted to, to say that, to, to underscore what you said in the sense that, um, that yes, now, you know, George Floyd did not die in vain. He did not die in vain, and 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 uh, and things are are changing. But I I also wanted to throw it over to you, Jordana, because uh, I wanted, wondered what you thought about uh, Alexandra Ocasio Cortez's speech mm. on the House floor. Uh, that must have been thrilling. You know, um, I it it was very nice to see that she was able to make such eloquent points about a systemic problem that women have experienced. Um, the only thing that uh, was, um, th- there was nothing surprising to me whatsoever about how <laughs> this Mr. Yoho responded, th- the name, mm-hmm. by the way, alone, sorry to say, it's just like, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like, come on. Yeah, name. Come on. Like, really? Come on. Can't yeah, make this stuff up. Right. <laughs> like, it's almost like a fake name. Yeah, it's yeah, like, exactly. You want to run office and you take it. It's not what happened. I mean, I feel bad for anyone else with that. Name. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, um, I, I just, I was so, so non-surprised to see this man come and try to use the wife and daughter's excuse. This is the same thing. Like I have, well, I have black friends. Exactly. You know, it's like, okay, well, but you weren't a friend to this black person, right? right, like, right, right. You, you weren't acting in a fatherly, a gentlemanly way, quote unquote, to this woman. So I don't give a fuck about your mm-hmm. wife and daughters. Okay. Um, And by the way, uh, does man not know that a lot of men with wife and daughters molest and beat and rape and abuse their daughters? So what what does this mean? Like, yeah, it doesn't even mean anything. Yeah. Very similar. There was a story, um, uh, you know, it was literally about a guy who was fucking horses. Okay. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. (laughs) this is like spinning down the drain i swear i could <laughs> dig this story up okay he was fucking horses and um other people were like oh we're so surprised he's such a good christian oh, like God. what yeah. what this is this but this is the this is the defense you know he's a good christian man he's a family man he believes in god you know all right. these are defenses right. this terrible behavior and it could be anywhere from you know what from what uh uh, Yoho uh, said to, you know, yeah. bestiality, you know, yeah. so it's like, and it's just used as a get out of jail free card. And that's what pisses me off. I think that was one of the beautiful parts of the speech is to highlight that, like to, to recognize this in a systemic manner, rather than just getting up and complaining and saying, Hey, the guy called me a fucking bitch. Like, what do you, 
this is so disgusting. And, you know, I especially liked the idea. She wasn't even going to complain about it at all. Mm-hmm. It was just going to be like, oh, it's another day being a woman and exactly. society. Like, you know, and, and she she made some really good points, too, about, yeah, I live in New York City. Like, I've bartended. I've waited tables. Like, I've thrown people out for this kind of language, like, for, for treating me. I've been harassed in the street. Like, we all have. We As a woman, you know, we have been a source of prey. It happens less to me now as I get older, which is one of the reliefs of getting older, honestly, in this society is that I have to deal with less street harassment. Um, it, it's great. No, I it, love getting older. Like, let me just tell you. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's been something that we've had to contend with, you know, and, and, you know, you, and always, you know, the focus being on, on us, right. It's just the same as, you know, the black parents have to have the talk, right. Mm-hmm. Like I've been reading about this a lot and it, as a white female, I've never had to have the talk about, well, you have to behave this certain way if you're around law enforcement, because it was always just presumed that I'm going to be polite and nice and go along to get along because as a woman, that's how I've been socialized. Mm -hmm. But also because as a safety, you know, just a statistical reason, I have had the privilege to walk and around in society in a particular way and not be, have my actual life at risk per se. Now that doesn't, from law enforcement, However, of course, there have been men, predators, who are out there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I find it very interesting, too, and I'll say this, is because this is something that really gets to me is, and I, I posted the other day, like, can I just go one day without hearing the word pedophile or seeing it? Can I just go a day without seeing a, a news story about a pedophile, please? Mm-hmm. And I get that this is something we need to deal with. And, and I'm glad, you know, that people are, okay, abuse is, you know, it's not normal and we... We shouldn't have this, but no one's, and obviously no one's blaming these victims. It's a little bit different, but the idea is that we are not talking about the men, the systemic problem with men and how they've had the freedom Mm -hmm. to just do whatever they please with no consequences. Mm -hmm. And so I think a, a speech like AOC's was a good starting point to start having this dialogue that we can no longer allow people to simply abuse without having that be the main focus of an article, that be the main focus of a dialogue. This is the issue, is the the lack of consequences and the lack of accountability. Yes. Yes. That is so well, well, so, so well said. And, 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 you know, and, and, you know, I, I just like relate a, like a, a real quick story. So like years ago, years, this is before I met my wife, like years ago and I, and I was dating a woman and, and I, and I, and, 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 and I remember I, I wrote to her and, 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 and I'm embarrassed to admit this about myself and, and I'm embarrassed to admit this by myself. This, you know, this is a long time ago, but you know, I, I remember, I remember being, being, um, you know, uh, agitated by, and being, uh, being like, oh, so you're a feminist, you know, as if that was a bad thing or as if like, you know, um, and I was very ignorant of everything at the time. And, and, you know, I, I, I remember, I remember this woman systematically teaching me basically that mm-hmm. like, you know, it didn't, it hadn't occurred to me that when I walk down the street, I don't have, I don't worry about being harassed. I don't worry about being raped. I don't worry, you know, I don't worry about these sort of things. I, I just, you know, and, 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 and it's funny because as a person of color, I can, I can identify with that because I think about that about white people all the time. White people don't realize that yeah. what it's like, frequently just doesn't even occur to them, you know? And so I, I, I just think it's like, you know, I, I try and take 
it make it my responsibility now to to be a a vocal a vocal ally um and 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 you know and you know, I think a lot of you get the sort of toxic masculinity response to that, which is like, you know, like how had like you, what are you standing up for women? Da, da, da. Um, and, and, and like, you know, so my point is that like hearing people like AOC sort of, sort of talk about this and you talk about this, uh, Jordana and talk about this and, 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 um, you know, and, and sort of like wrapping that sort of, you know, connecting that to my experience as a person of color and just thinking like, well, what, you know, and like how, like, you know, and just, yeah, it's the same fucking thing. It's the same fucking thing. And, and, and again, I'm embarrassed to admit that I, I couldn't see that for years. I just couldn't see that. And it, it's interesting because it gives me a, a sense of compassion, I guess, for white people. You yeah. know, I grew up around white people my whole life. So like, I have a sense of compassion towards white people in general, but this really helps me be like, okay, you know, maybe, you know, people really just don't fucking know. And once they, once they're told and then ignore it, then like, fuck you. But like, you know, but, but, you know, but in the, but in the first instance, like, all right, here is what you're not seeing, you know? There would, there should be like a VR, um, like a game. Yeah. Oh, what a great idea. Like people could be, and like they would, like for people to really immerse themselves, like I've thought of this game. um, I hope someone makes it, but like, it could be like Sims, um, for politics, like for, and all politicians are required to do it where they have to like build a government. And that's like a requirement. Like if you're going to run for office, you have to play this game and oh, like have a good, yeah. you know, score between a certain, so it's almost like a test, but like, you know, you can't take office, you can't take your oath, can't even run until you go through the training and you're literally, you know, Sims, I guess you, you build the, and sometimes they die or whatever, like the farm fails or whatever. Right, right, right. Things, <laughs> but you, you, know? could do you could model real government. You could do that for politicians. <laughs> I think that'd be a great idea. It would be so good, but I would love for there to be also like a VR or an AR experience where people could come into the VR experience. And I've never even done a VR, so I don't, I should do it, I guess, to, to know if this would really work, but they would be able to choose the avatar that they could be. And it would just be a normal day, you know, just going yeah. the day. And so now you're trying on, like, I want to see what is it like to walk around as a black male? What is it to you know, walk around, walk around as, a woman. As, yeah. as a Muslim male. I, I want to see, right. I want to experience this, mm. you know, um, well, and particularly, particularly as a, as an attractive woman, you know, and street harassment, that would be, you know, cause there's been a number of videos uh, about that, you know, showing, but I would love to have it, like you said, from the perspective, you know, so you put on the goggles and you see, walk down the street, you see what that would be like. But uh, you know, I, I, I just, before um, we go on, I, I want to say that, Christoph, that was really uh, interesting what you said. And I had a similar uh, arc of evolution as a man. Um, I was raised, you know, we were both raised in the same um, church. And um, in that church, there was, uh, there was a high degree of respect for women that was taught, uh, more so than I think in most, most churches. Uh, and, and also because of the fact of the, the, the uh, contact between the sexes was, was discouraged, you know, unless people were married, you know, there's not a lot of flirting and dating and all that. So we were already very reserved in the way that we, we uh, uh, behaved toward women. But I did come out of there still with a lot of, you know, patriarchal attitudes and a lot of things that, you know, o- over time in my life, the, the various women who I have, uh, who I've been with, uh, have taught me about, you know, about uh, sexism and about these things. And it, it, I definitely went through an evolution because there, there was a time when I felt like, you know, maybe men were getting the short end of the stick with, you know, divorces and child support and, you know, and, and, and child custody and all of those things. You know, that's, that's what really gets a lot of these MRAs started. True. 
is yeah. that, you know, <clears throat> and then they start to think of it as a zero sum game. And, mm-hmm. and, then, and then it goes way beyond um, uh, divorces. It goes into other areas of life. Oh, women, you know, they're, they're too powerful. They're becoming too powerful. They're, be, they, you know, they're getting, they're, they're, they're becoming professionals. I have to work with them. You know, uh, you know, I have a female boss. Oh, you know, <clears throat> and um, God forbid. <laughs> so, so it definitely, definitely has been an evolution. And I, I've come to the point now where I feel that as a man that I'm not taking really my uh, uh, responsibility unless I call out other men when I see this stuff happening. And I think 100%. that, you know, I, I, I wrote a post about it this morning and like saying, you know, like, guys, we have everything. We have, we have all the power. We're overrepresented in government. We're, we're, you know, more, there's way more male cops, doctors, lawyers, uh, uh, professionals of all kinds. You know, we make more money per hour. Like what, what skin is it off our nose to be respectful towards and, and, and allow this, this equalizing process to happen? You know, what is it that is so uh, abhorrent about that? You know, no one's asking, um, you know, to walk in front at this point, everyone walk and march together as a, as in a line of equality. This is it. You know, this is all that's ever been asked for. And the idea that someone would deny that, um, it's, it's just like in Hollywood, you know, I just worked mostly doing entertainment litigation for the past five years. Um, and Hollywood, you know, there's a lot of attitude among people who work in Hollywood that, you know, in making deals like, well, you know, if you get yours, then that means I don't get mine. So I have to actively work to try to prevent you from getting yours. And obviously, Mm -hmm. you know, you're directing a film, there can only be one director, right? You're writing a screenplay, they're going to pick someone's screenplay. But this notion that there can't be multiple people working together or that there can't be collaboration or that, you know, you're going to do a scorched earth to just drive someone out of the industry, which yeah. I've seen happen in some cases I've worked on. It's like, why are you doing this? I mean, you, you can watch someone else be successful. There is plenty of resources. This notion of scarcity, it, it really, I think, has its roots in our society where people were the the origin story of America, where people were just scrabbling, literally scrabbling for food, dying Mm -hmm. of diseases, having a short life expectancy. Mm -hmm. We are still living under the collective genetic trauma that we've gone through decades and hundreds of years, centuries, eons of bare survival. Mm -hmm. And it's despite the the hegemony that um, certain members of our society have had, they, they, they just can't let that go. You know, instead of realizing like, wow, look at this amazing thing that we've built. Now let's share it. Let's let's have the land of plenty that we've always mm-hmm. dreamed of. This is Absolutely. something that's anathemic to the way they think. Christoph and I have had a, a lot of discussions about the hierarchy issue and about the oh uh, yeah, big time. fact that, that, you know, there's a there's a big stake in preserving the hierarchy. But I've noticed something. I was I was talking to Jillian about this the other day. And um, basically, it's that you see in many cases when there's and when there's a power structure that men come into where there's a female leader men will absolutely bow to that leader with no problem. I mean, it's like, you know, when, when, they're, when, when their job depends on it, when, you know, or if it's even, even in a video game, you know, like, uh, like uh, we're in a video game where there's an alliance and it's led by a woman, you know? And so all these guys, and some of them are Trumpers and everything else like that, you know, they follow, they call her boss, they, they follow what she says, you know, and, and uh, uh, there's, a, there's a, you know, like, it's like once they flip that switch, you know, everything works fine. And I don't know what it is that, that, that prevents people from flipping that switch. I find that so interesting too, you know, because I've worked, I worked for the city of San Francisco for three years. I, I, I clerked for two years and then I, I worked for the city. Um, and there were many female department heads, you know, I was in my position and there was also others 
And, you know, obviously in the police department itself and the sheriff's department, there's been female lieutenants, you know, there was a female captain, et cetera. It does happen. And even there's obviously female CEOs, et cetera. It's so interesting to me to see the dynamic of why some people succeed and don't seem to face problems and others do. And I don't know if it's just, I I don't blame these particular actors, right? I Mm -hmm. I don't, it's a very interesting phenomenon. I'm sure there's been research about this and, you know, the organizational development and how this phenomenon is occurring. And obviously there's, it's so dependent on so many factors, but it's, you know, how is it that some leaders are trusted more than others? What is the quality in a female leader that makes certain men who've been hard-baked misogynists suddenly flip the switch, as you say, and how can we teach those skills to all the other women who want to be successful so that we can manage our, ourselves? I mean, part of being a leader is managing yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying we should, we have to bow down to what these men want, but I just would like to know if there's a set of skills, you know? It's interesting. I don't even, I don't even know if it's like, if it's, the, if it's the women though, because like, for example, um, We'll take Hillary Clinton. You know, that's a, that's she she is the most competent person to ever run for office of of the president of the United States, and um and yet you know she just induced rage, just rage. You know, and I mean I thought that she had that game when I saw that photo of her on the military transport plane with her phone, that famous photo that everybody uh, you yeah. know like that is the boss. She is in charge. Mm-hmm. I would follow her anywhere. You know that 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 was that's how I felt about it. You know I I. I yeah any of this antipathy, but yet you see Joe Biden with similar policies. He's doing about 10% better uh, overall in the primaries than somebody who with ex- the ex- almost exact same set of policies. And so the, sure. only, uh, the only, only answer is sexism. And so I, and I don't think that that was Hillary's fault. Hillary was uh, no, you know, no. solid. No. Yeah. I, yeah. You know, it's, <clears throat> I, I just want to chime in here because I, I was thinking, as you guys were talking and, and thank you both for that. I think that was really interesting. I, I, you know, when I, my bosses, I work for a company called practical law, um, great company. And the reason why I'm, one of the reasons why I'm still there is because it really is just a fantastic place to work. Um, but one of the reasons why, you know, but all, I have two bosses that run my team, the L and E team. I'm a writer. I write, I write products, right? So that I, I, from an L from a law, from a labor and employment perspective, um, and so, um, and what we call resources. And anyway, both my bosses are women and, and they run, and, and, you know, the, what's, what's, what's consistent about practical law and this sort of folds into a hierarchy cons- conversation, uh, Sean, our ongoing hierarchy conversation. And that is that it's a relatively flat organization, right? So yes, there, you know, first of all, each little team operates very like sort of independently for one. And also within the team, like, you know, there are, there's not a bunch of power you know, sort of power sources. And, um, and so, and, and, and with, and this, the, some of the most powerful people in the company are women. And what I have found as a result of that is far more collaboration, far less toxic, you know, competition. And of course it's competition for all human beings. We were talking about factionalizing earlier, like that happens, but I'm, but like, Compared to my experience working at a big law firm, male-dominated litigation section, a lot of chess beating, litigators can be the worst, as I'm sure you know, Jordana, like, like male, some, there are some really obnoxious male litigators out there, um, their feet up on the thing, like, like all of that, right? But like, all that stuff. Um, you know, is, is, is a huge distraction. And, 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 and what, and this is what I'm getting at is that I find that women under both of those situations 
like respond differently in my experience. So, and, and it's, this is not a scientific study. It's just my, just my observations, but women in a more hierarchical and hierarchical environment sort of become that. Right. And so, right. And, and become like a female version of that, of that, of that same guy with his feet up on the thing. Right. And then that's when everyone's like, Oh, he's, she's so bitchy. Da, 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 da. Right. But really what she, it seems to me, again, I'm just theorizing now, it seems to me she's trying to find a way to make it in that environment. And the, on the other hand, because that's the way that environment works, right? And finances like that, big law firms are like that, right? All of those places are like that. Every, pretty much every company in New York over there is like that, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, you have a, in practical law in a, in a much more collaborative environment, I feel it seems to me that women really shine in that environment. Like, you know, and, 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 and what ends up happening is that, you know, is, is that, and, and, and the men are, like you're saying, Sean, are much more just like, yep, this woman, you know, like, uh, yep, yeah, this is the boss. This is, this is charge. You know, it's like, she gets all due respect of anyone. All who due respect. Position. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm not saying that women should now change to like, a, to accommodate that. I'm just trying to explain, I'm just trying to like throw a spitball. What, like what in my, from my experience in corporate America, what I've seen, you know? Yeah. I, I agree that it, it is, it is sort of like you are becoming like the enemy. You're, you're just, some people are just desperate to, mm. to find a way to survive sometimes too. Sure facing their own stress. They might have a medical issue or whatever. They just, they have to keep the job, you know? So mm-hmm. what can they do to become like this person, you know? And the best leaders are those who have a democratic style of leadership within an organization and who seek the guidance and the, the input of their subordinates, you know, like enacting a policy. Um, you know, it, it's, it's important to talk to people who are actually going to be affected by that policy instead of just right. handing down a directive from above and, that I think is the old way of doing things. I think that women are more likely to engage in that collaborative process because again, it goes back to how we've been socialized. Exactly. Right. We're, we're socialized to kind of ask for help or ask other people, well, what do you think? That's not necessarily a bad thing. That's not necessarily a bad mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, you know, I think there is a time that's called for, you know, straight up executive leadership where decisions have to be made. But if a person has set the stage with this notion of the collaborative process, when they do kind of, you know, enforce something or make a decision without asking anyone, the people are less likely to rise up, you know, in, in, in rage. How dare this woman, you know, make a decision. Um, and I think that might be some clue based, you know, what building on what you're saying that, yeah. that maybe that is a reason why some women have been more successful than others in leadership positions in organizations. Yeah, I, I, you know, women. I, 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 you know, I, I, I love working for women personally. I mean, I, I just because I, I find men to be in general pretty toxic. Um, like you know, just like and just in general, like in life, right? Like in life, right? Uh, just because like. I'm just not a chess beater, right? And, and and so like my entire life I've had to sort of be around chess beaters, right? And 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 and, and it's just not how I roll. Um so but but I I I think that, you know, certainly in corporate America and certainly in the government, like balancing the women to male men ratio is just so critical because you know, men are impulsive, men are combative, men are a bunch of different things that, and I'm not saying every man is like that or every woman is not like that. I'm just saying though, like, like in terms of general traits and, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, you know, men and women are not the same. And, and so having both of those elements if you think about it, you end up having a much more complete organization, right? And a much more effective, effective organization, I think, in the end. 
if you think about it in terms of a positive and a negative polarity, right? So if you mm. think about about masculinity, that would be in, in, in some senses, you know, aggressive, competitive, all those things that is, that is very, that's very forceful. Right. And um, without a check and balance, you know, you can, you can just, you can just overshoot everything. Right. So mm-hmm. that's the positive polarity, the negative polarity coming in, not saying female w- w- women are, are negative, but just in terms of a, of a, of, you know, a, a system uh, you know, of, of, the, the, what you talked about, Jordana, of, of, of collaboration and, you know, uh, looking for feedback, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. so it's a sort of temper. So you have these two, these two, and if they can, if they can work together, if they can work together instead of at, 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 at odds, you get a much better outcome in, in general. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's like uh, in, in engineering terms, we call it an open loop system. If you just have masculinity out of control, it's an open loop right. system, no feedback, no, no, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> Feedback. <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, it's a, an ongoing struggle um, for someone like myself. I I just first chaired this this trial. We were successful. We got a oh, that's awesome. Great verdict. Yeah, it was a it was a um, a long long couple of years getting this case ready for trial, and we did one of the last civil jury trials in California. Um, we did, it was a six week jury trial in San Diego and we had a two week bench trial before that. Wow. So it was really a, a very lengthy process. And then of course, you know, all this preparation that went into it, you know, and the discovery and there were battles and it was very, very difficult. They had a lot more resources than we did on the other side and we had to fight for everything. And, um, you know, in the end, the jury saw what was right. Um, but I was first chair of that trial and I had to assume a position of authority sure. um, and with my colleagues, um, including with my former boss. And wow. that was oh, okay. um, a really uh, interesting process, how that happened. And, you know, me kind of I, I had already led, you know, I'd, I'd been in charge of a city department. I'd, I'd had my own business for years. And so, you know, and I, I had already functioned as a leader, you know, professionally speaking, um, but this was a new role for me to, to, I had been first chair of a trial before and nothing of this link that this was, you know, even the other lawyers had never tried a case of this length. I mean, this, this is very unprecedented as any litigator would tell you to have an eight week trial. It was, uh, it was a great experience. I would do it all over again. I love trying cases. I love, uh, especially complex cases. The, the more complex, the better. It's just something I love doing. Um, but it really called for a new um, way of approaching leadership to do this, especially when I was dealing with lawyers that were, you know, I had one female associate that was, she's an eight year, I'm a 16 year practice. Um, and then I had, there was our co-counsel and then my boss who's been practicing for, you know, like 40 years, you know, and my former boss. So it was, it was a very interesting dynamic, um, it was, I had to learn some new skills about how to moderate my, uh, you know, direction to, to people. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to do, to just do it off the cuff the way I normally would be, but I had to, I did follow my instincts quite a bit. And I think that a lot of it is that that's what's called for, um, to do that, to, to be a leader, to be, you know, when you're stepping into a role that's uncomfortable for you, mm-hmm. um, the collaboration, really calling for everybody's opinion um, and, and meaning it L- legitimately, not just lip service. Like, oh, what do you think? You really have to mean it. You have to want it, right? And I hope that as we go into this new phase of our society with Biden in, in charge, I hope we're going to have a process like that, a reconciliation process where we're asking 
people, what do you think, what do you want and what do you need and checking in with people? Because this is what I think people want at this point is to be asked what it is that they need. I don't know what we're going to do with people who refuse to participate. That's the problem. I think that, you know, over time, you know, it shifts. And like I said, you know, when I, you can, it's like flipping a switch. Sometimes you get these guys, they are, they are hardcore, you know, they, they are, they are Trumpers. They don't want to admit, you know, this stuff, but they will work for a woman if they, if they have to. And so I think in some cases it's, it's laws, you know, it's like Hillary said, you know, we, we, you don't change hearts, you change laws, you know, but it's also norms. It's also, it's also uh, us guys calling out when we see it, you know, and so refusing, to, refusing to stand for it, you know, um, and, and, so and I'm, t- I'm not even talking about just in the workplace. I'm talking about if you're, if you're out with the, with, with the guys and you're in a bar and you see this, some of this stuff going on, like shut it down, shut Absolutely. it down right now. You know, that's the key. This that's is, so, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Turn mm-hmm. Um, this is something that uh, a lot of whites don't want to discuss and talk about is the, the racism of other whites. And so when you're confronted with it, the harmless joke, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the joke that may not involve a slur or a word, but nonetheless is a statement of generality, a stereotype about people or, or women, it could be as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is something that it happens with whites. They'll, they'll just sit there in silence and just say nothing. And I think it's our duty to, to speak up. I've even had one time I saw a crime committed on, um, on a muni bus in San Francisco. It was actually a very severe crime. This, these girls attacked a gang of four girls. I call it a gang because there's no other way to refer to it. It was a pack, a pack of kids. They were teenagers and they attacked um, two women on the bus and, and, you could see the fight as the bus pulls up to the bus stop. You can see this fight happening. And it was, it was a serious, I mean, it was brutal. The, <laughs> the girl took the lady's arm and it was like a turkey leg, like bit into it. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was like, everyone's all, oh, like, you know, I mean, we're all standing there waiting for the bus, like, oh, bus, we're getting on, you know? And we're like, oh no. And like, people were just flooding off this bus because they wanted to distance from the brutality it was like, if you ever seen a cat fight, it was like a rolling kind of like pit of people, like rolling right. in over end, like just all out. So wow. they, they, and the, the women were both beaten. There were two, two women. And then the girls kind of got off. Two of them got on another bus that was also at the bus stop. And that bus drove away with no, nothing. And then the other girls went away. And I guess the, one of the women had asked them to be quiet on the bus and they were talking about, uh, gotten suspended for fighting someone at school and they were very loud. And so then the, the one woman said, you know, can you keep it down? And they went crazy. So according to bystanders, well, then the cop, I called in the cops. I was working for the city then. So I reported it along with multiple other people and two of us stayed around and agreed to make statements. And so the cop picks me up and they had detained the two girls, you know, around the corner. And so he's like, I'm going to drive you over there. And I didn't, I was like, I don't want to see that. I don't, I don't want anything to do with this. You guys can just, I'll come down later and do that. He's like, no, no, it's fine. Just ID him right now. We'll arrest him. Like, okay. So I go in the car, I'm in the back of the cop car, which is filthy by the way. And so we go around the corner, (laughs) disgusting. I never want to be out there. So we go around the corner and we, we look and then there they are. It's them, you know, they got them like a block away. So we got them and the guy, the cop white, you know, starts going off and using like raised racial terms that I will not repeat saying that. And I'm thinking to myself, so you want me to say this at the trial? Like, this is what right. you said? I mean, it's like, how dare you? You're just going to assume that you can say this to me. I mean, it's demeaning and insulting 
in its own right for mm-hmm. a white person. And that's the way whites have to start thinking about reframing mm-hmm. it. It's like, how dare you assume that I hold the same views that you do? Right. I'm racist, like you. Because that's what it, it is. is. It's, it's embarrassing. It's, a, it's embarrassing. I feel embarrassment whenever I start to see uh, men making, you know, sexist jokes or race or, or white people making racist jokes. I, I, it's embarrassing for me, you know, and I'm just like, you're going to actually make me have to say something to you. You don't already know that this is a problem. Exactly. Uh, you know what? I, I, well, one of the things that I say, like, and, and uh, as I've said, and I'd say a lot, uh, I grew up all in a very white environment and, um, you know, and, and so, and a lot of people that I know to this day are white and, and my closest friends, et cetera. So, you know, a lot of times I'll get um, uh, fairly or unfairly questions about, you know, you know, you know, what can I do? What can I do? How can I help? Blah, 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 especially since George Floyd's death and um, murder. Um, and so um, I, I like to say this is just like, don't be a safe space for your families, especially because that's the hardest one. Right? Mm-hmm. Your family's racism, their sexism. Don't be a safe space. It's like the simplest little thing you can do. And it's hard. I get it. Cause, mm-hmm. cause we like, Sean, you talk about this a lot. And that is a, uh, we, uh, confrontation is not more like human beings. Like, you know, people are conflict averse, right? They, they, they don't want to make waves, right? Like people just want to just sort of do their thing and, and, and move on. But one of the simplest things one can do is say like, no, you know, and, and I had to do this. I, I, you know, played hockey for years and in, in the locker room, I had to do this all the time, which is just like, no, like, no, no, no. And this, especially like, like gay slurs, right. And like, you know, homophobic slurs is a big one among men. Right. Um, and I just like, no, like not on my team. And by the way, I actually, I had, I actually ran my own team specifically so I could make the rules. Right. Cause I, I wouldn't play on anyone else's team. I only played on my own because if I played on someone else's team, I didn't, I didn't, I would knew I would heard this, hear the slurs. I knew I would hear it. And I knew that they were probably talking about me the same way when I wasn't there. Yes. Right? yes. 100%. Right. I could feel it. You could probably under- deal with this. Your daddy. You can like feel this. Mis- you know, I bet you could feel misogyny. I can feel racism from people, even if they don't say a goddamn word. I can see it in their eyes. I can see it in their attitudes. And I and, and because, you know, they don't want to say it to me directly. But as soon as I leave, I know they're saying it. I know they are, you know. Yeah. And again, I think that one thing that that people of all races and, um, and all genders can do is, you know, with respect to other people, uh, you know, just call people out or, or just say like, no, that's not cool, man. Like, and, and people will feel really embarrassed when you do that. Like you're going to like, people will just like crawl, like click crawl into their, into their holes of shame when you're like, nah, dude, that's, that's not cool, man. Like yeah. that's not cool around me. Like this. And also what you have to say, no, yeah, that's not cool, bro. Like that's fucked up. You know, that's it. We're getting pretty, uh, pretty, uh, long on our time now. I think we're about an hour and 15 or something like that. So, um, I think it's a good note to end on, though, just just us all encouraging each other to go out and really, you know, uh, make that difference in our daily lives, you know, just Mm -hmm. with people. And and, and it also that that is also ultimately going to going to give people hope because we in order to recover from the Trump era, it's not just getting rid of Donald Trump. It's getting rid of these attitudes, which, you know, um, I don't know if they're worse. I mean, like we said, it just could be we just could be seeing seeing them more openly now but uh whatever it is we this is maybe a situation where the trump era had to be us getting worse so we could get better exactly it's like a form of uh homeopathy you know where you take the poison in this case it was like a bucket of of the pills instead of just like a (laughs) spoon for the tongue right (laughs) but yeah i um i was noticing i started thinking to myself because i i I like numbers i've always had i mean I, i love words and i was always drawn to english but I've always, I have a really good memory for numbers and I'm, I kind of 
like to live by numbers in a way. And I have this whole visual thing with them that I won't get into. It's too weird. Um, but anyways, um, I was noticing in the calendar and I looked how many days until the election and today is 101. And so tomorrow is a hundred days until wow. the election. Okay. And so to me, that's just such a nice round number. Like we, this is like a very big number for a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I started thinking, you know, what I, I started thinking about, like, what am I going to do to bring hope and positivity to other people and to provide resources and be a leader during this process for the next hundred days. So mm-hmm. I'm going to try to post something every day. I'm, I, I made a little list in my mind, you know, more positivity definitely. And you know, kind of going on every day, finding a new resources, new resource, I should say, for election security, things that there's a lot of things that attorneys can do. There's people that are needed in other states to to kind of monitor the, the security mm-hmm. of the election and, and the collection of ballots. People are already asking. I belong to a, a women for Biden group and people have been asking. They're scared, you know, the, the post office situation and, you know, they can research in their town. You know, they can go and research. Can they drop off at the Department of Elections or yeah, drop it off? Drop off your ballot. <laughs> exactly. And we may need to devote resources to, you know, driving people, not driving the ballot in, okay, but driving mm-hmm. the person to drop it off or what, mm-hmm. whatever it takes. But mm-hmm. I'm going to devote myself to trying to post something every day for the next 100 days that will be of service to others. And I encourage everyone else that's watching to do the same and, you know, to, to, admit, to know in your heart that victory is coming very soon. That's fantastic. It makes me really feel that good to awesome, say man. that. <laughs> yeah. Are you, you, you going to run for office or what? I mean, <laughs> attorney general, attorney general sounds really good, well, you know? <laughs> thank you for saying that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I'm right now I need to make, make some money so that I can do something and take on an endeavor like that, you know, because when you're running for office, you know, it's like a full-time job and oh, I yeah. can't afford sure. not to work right now. So I'm hoping I, makes money. I love trying cases too. Um, I always thought maybe I'd want to be a judge, but I, I just think it's like going in-house. It's like, on one hand, I would love to do it because it's, I love business and I would love to run a great organization, but then I'd be jealous of our outside counsel. I'd be like, oh, (laughs) you know, (laughs) try cases, right? You can't try cases. You got some fire left. I think maybe it'll be a while. Maybe, maybe, maybe in 20 years you want to be a judge or something. Yeah. it's good too to have a lot more trial experience when you're a judge because that's what you're going to be doing is overseeing. For you know, sure. unless you're in certain, I mean, it depends what you're doing. Obviously, there's different roles, but like LA has 683, I think we're up to judges. I mean, it's larger than most LA County. It's larger than most countries in terms wow. of the judiciary. It's massive, that's and amazing, so amazing. you know, you need to have trial experience. You need to know what what you're doing in there for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jordana, for being on. And uh, Christoph, you want to sign us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, again, you know, thanks everybody for watching Jordana. Thank you so much for being here. You are an inspiration. Um, and, uh, and I am going to be taking, uh, I'm taking that, taking that challenge. I'm going to try and do something positive every day on uh, my little, my little sort of, you know, microphone. Um, obviously Sean, thanks for being here. Um, I'm going to, uh, what else do we have to say? This is the radical secular we're, we're really happy to have you here. Please uh, like, subscribe, and share. Um, and um, I'll have, let Sean just do the last word. Yeah, we'll, we'll see everyone next week. Awesome. Right. Thanks for having me. It was a great time. Thank you. Thanks for being here. You've been listening to The Radical Secular, a podcast dedicated to the separation of church and state. 
for full video episodes. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel.